Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Today was the last trading day for the month of June, which also means it was the last trading day for the second quarter of 2020. And you're going to hear a lot on the news about what a great quarter it was. It certainly is one of the best quarters for all of the major indexes uh, in, in recent times. I mean, in fact, you have to go back, you know, 22 years to find a quarter better than this recent quarter for the S&P. It was up about 19%. 1998 was the last time the S&P had such a good quarter, and that was during the dot-com bubble. Uh, the Dow up almost as much, about 18%. That's its best quarter since 1987. Uh, NASDAQ actually was the star on the quarter. It was up 30%. Uh, but that's only the best since 2001 uh, because it had some pretty big quarters uh, during the uh, the blow-off of the dot-com bubble. Russell 2000 also almost as strong as the NASDAQ. It was up 25% on the quarter. But you have to keep these quarterly gains in perspective because they come off of a horrible first quarter, right? In fact, the only index that is positive year-to-date is the, the NASDAQ, right? The S&P is still down about 4% on the year. The Dow is still off about 9%. I mean, my numbers are not exact. Uh, Russell 2000 is still down about 13.5%. It's only the NASDAQ uh, that is up about 12% on the year. But none of these indexes uh, would be positive, or in fact, they would all be down much more than they are, but for the Federal Reserve. But for all of the money, the trillions and trillions of dollars that the Federal Reserve, you know, dropped into the economy from its helicopters, the fact that the Federal Reserve is now buying corporate bonds, including junk bonds, in addition to monetizing all the treasury debt, the Federal Reserve is directly lending money to U.S. corporations. That's why their share prices are going up, because the Federal Reserve is buying all their bonds. 
almost like it's forgiving their debt. So it's backstopping all these corporations. That is the only reason that we've had this rally. So it's a phony rally. It's it's air going back into a bubble. But I don't think that the Fed can continue inflating this bubble for the rest of the year. I think despite what the Fed is doing, I expect there to be a pullback in these major indexes. But even if it doesn't happen, even if somehow uh, we can defy gravity here and the Fed's printing press can continue to elevate U.S. stock prices, it's not going to matter. It's not a reason to buy U.S. stocks. And it doesn't mean that anybody who owns U.S. stocks is going to make any money in real terms, because the only way to keep the U.S. stock market going up is to crash the dollar, to sacrifice the value of the U.S. dollar. And in so doing, uh, the Fed will be rewarding people who own gold, who own gold stocks and who own foreign stocks to a much greater degree uh, than anyone who owns U.S. stocks. So it doesn't even matter whether U.S. stocks go up or down. You don't want to own them because the only way they can go down, up rather, is if the dollar goes down. And if that happens, which I expect, you will make far more money investing internationally, investing in gold and gold stocks than in the U.S. stock market. In fact, if you go back to the first decade of this century, the best returns were made internationally. It was really a lost decade, uh, 2000, 2010 timeframe. It was really a lost decade for U.S. stocks. The money was made in emerging markets, in commodities, in foreign currencies, in precious metals. Uh, that's where all the money was made. The next decade was the decade of the U.S. stock market, the U.S. bond market. The best returns were in the United States. Well, I think we're flipping back uh, to repeat the initial decade of this century, except it's going to be much worse for the U.S. stock market and much better for foreign markets and gold because the fundamentals couldn't be worse for the U.S. market. Uh, they're much worse now than they were uh, in early 2000. So this is going to be a fantastic decade. Uh, for international investing, for my strategy. And this decade is just getting started. We're early in it. It's the first year. we got many, many years to go. In fact, if you look at the gains that we've already seen uh, this quarter, sure, it was a great quarter for the U.S. stock market. But keeping it in perspective, the price of gold was up 13% on the quarter. So that means the real gains, right, for stocks priced in gold rather than priced in dollars were much smaller. But look at the gains in gold stocks. The GDX, which is an index of gold mining stocks, was up 60% in the second quarter. And the gold juniors, the GDXJ, that index was up 76% on the quarter. 76%. So these are spectacular gains and nothing comes close. Even the NASDAQ's 30% gain is still half of the gain that you got on gold stocks and a smaller fraction on junior gold stocks. But the difference is even more significant when you look at it for the entire year, right? Because the S&P is down again 4%. Dow's down about 9%. said so Russell 2000 down about 13.5%. Uh, only index up is the NASDAQ, which is up about 12% on the year. But gold is up 17%. That completely negates the entire NASDAQ gain priced in gold. And of course, all the under indexes are down even more in real money than in the Fed's funny money. But look at the gold stocks. The GDX up 25% on the year. 
and the GDXJ up 17.5%. So gold stocks are bleeding away. They, they, they led on the quarter. They led on the year. In fact, if you go back over the past three years, gold stocks have substantially outperformed uh, the S&P. In fact, I think when this year ends, if you go back for five years, people that own gold stocks over the preceding five years will have made a tremendous amount of money, much more money than people who owned the U.S. stock market during the same time period. In fact, if you want to look at the, the Dow priced in gold, which is something that you always have to do, the Dow Jones bottomed out at about seven and a half ounces of gold in early 2009. It was about March of 2009. That was the low. Remember, though, that the S&P, or rather the Dow, was at a record 40 plus ounces of gold in 2000. At the peak of the NASDAQ bubble, you, you know, it took 40 ounces of gold to buy the Dow Jones. So it was a huge bear market, right, from 40 ounces of gold all the way down to seven and a half. But that's where we bottomed out. And then we had a big rally. But where are we now? We're at 14 and a half ounces of gold. We're not even close to the 40 ounces of gold we were at in 2000. In fact, that's the record high. I don't think that Dow Jones will ever be at 40 ounces of gold in our lifetimes. I mean, maybe it will at some point in the very, very distant future. I don't know if it'll happen in my children's lifetimes. I think that was a uh, generational or century, uh, maybe an all-time high. We'll see <laughs> for Dow in the price of gold at, at 40 to 1. But never say never. I mean, we, you know, it's certainly possible that it could, we could have a bigger bubble than the one we had in 2000 in my you know, great-great-grandchildren's uh, futures or something like that. Uh, but in reality, as far as anybody who listens to this podcast, that was the high uh, the Dow ever traded at 40 ounces of gold. But at, right now at 14 and a half ounces, I think within the next couple of years, the Dow Jones is going to take out that seven and a half low from 2009, which means in real money, the Dow Jones will end up losing 100% of what it gained since the 2009 low. All of those gains will be wiped out in real terms. Now, in nominal terms, I do not expect the Dow Jones to trade all the way back down to its 2009 low. It would if the Fed wasn't out there printing all this money, but because it is, it won't. But in terms of gold, that's where you're going to see the real losses. In fact, I've been saying on this podcast for years, my expectation for the bottom of this bear market is going to be close to one to one. I think the Dow Jones will be between two ounces of gold and one ounce of gold. It may not go all the way down to one to one. I mean, that was the low in 19. 32 and 1980. So we've been down there a couple of times at significant market lows. And I think we got a shot of going back down there again. So this is early in the bear market. It's got a long way to go. But what investors have to do is they need to get out, get out of U.S. stocks, get out of U.S. bonds and, you know, get into foreign stocks, get into gold. I mean, look at all of my strategies, uh, all of our equity funds at Europe Pacific. They're all positive on the year. Uh, positive on the quarter. Uh, but I think the momentum is going to build dramatically in the second half of the year. I think that we're going to outperform by a much greater degree in the second half than we did in the first half. In fact, I said earlier in the podcast, I do think that we're going to get another move down in the market. Whether we take out the lows or not, it's hard to say. Certainly that will happen or more likely uh, when Trump loses in November, which I think is uh, 
the most likely scenario. And I think that is negative for stocks. So if they haven't gotten clobbered by then, they will. Uh, but I think the next decline is not going to be about liquidity, the way the decline was that we had in February, March timeframe. It's going to be about valuation. It's going to be about recession. Uh, and when we have this bear market, unlike the decline that we had in you know March, the dollar is going to go down. It's not going to go up. In fact, the dollar was down on the quarter uh, and it wasn't down a lot, but it still had a negative quarter. But I think the second half is going to be particularly brutal for the dollar as you know, we put a nail in the coffin of uh, the dollar bulls and the milkshake theory, and which I went over on another podcast. And I think gold is going straight up. I think gold stocks are going up. So this next downturn is going to look nothing like the last one. And I think that we are perfectly positioned uh, for the things that are about to play out. Very few other investors are. Nobody really gets this. They don't understand the situation. They never did. They don't understand that the damage that the Fed has done to the economy. They don't understand how the Fed inflated the prior bubbles or how this one is even worse. And they don't get how everything that the Fed is doing now is making the problems that they don't even understand much worse and setting up an outcome that they haven't even contemplated. I mean, nobody is prepared for stagflation, for a situation where the economy is weak, unemployment rises, yet we have more inflation and we have a weak dollar, we have rising gold prices. The exact environment that we're going to have, nobody on Wall Street is prepared for. So that's how you make a lot of money, right? You figure out what nobody else expects to happen. And if you know it's going to happen, then you can bet against the crowd. And that's where you get the biggest payoff on your money. You know, a lot of people are out there and, you know, they're thinking that, oh, it's Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is going to be the beneficiary of the currency crisis, of the dollar crisis. If that were the case, Bitcoin would already be going up. I mean, Bitcoin hasn't been able to move. Gold continues to move up and make new highs. And the price of Bitcoin is still below 9200 uh, got rejected every time it neared uh, 10,000. It does have some support just under 9,000, but I do expect that support to give way. So Bitcoin is not the new gold. Gold is the new gold. Gold's about to reclaim the crown that Bitcoin maybe temporarily took away from it, at least in the minds of the Bitcoin uh, bulls, uh, for a few years while Bitcoin had the spotlight to itself. Bitcoin was going up while gold was consolidating. But now gold is breaking out. It's going to steal the spotlight away from uh, Bitcoin. And I think a lot of people who have been holding on to Bitcoin are ultimately going to unload it, especially when they realize they bet on the wrong horse. And when they want to you know, change their bets and, and get off that horse and get on the right horse, uh, you're going to see a big implosion in the price because there's not going to be a lot of buyers to take the other side of that trade. And I especially think uh, the crash is going to come from this Bitcoin trust, this Greystone Bitcoin trust. I think a lot of spec money went into that trust in the last few months, betting on uh, the halving, uh, and it's not going to happen. And when they see gold moving higher and Bitcoin not going along for the ride or not leading gold the way a lot of people anticipated, a lot of these uh, uh, weaker hands are going to throw in the towel. And this is going to be a major problem uh, for not only the, the, the trust price, but for Bitcoin in general. And when the dollar collapses, this is the game changer, right? What we are about to go through, the recession, the financial crisis that's in our future is far more severe 
and the implications and the uh, consequences far more dire than anything we experienced in, in the 08 crisis or that Great Recession. You know, for all the talk about white privilege, right, that is the new thing, right? Oh, white people enjoy this special privilege. Well, the real privilege that everybody needs to be worried about losing is not white privilege. It's the privilege of the U.S. dollar being the reserve currency. All Americans, regardless of their race, have enjoyed that privilege, right? And, you know, I didn't actually think of this comparison I, myself. I wish I did. I was reading an article on Zero Hedge by a guy named Mark uh, Jekovic. I'm not even sure who he is. I'm, maybe he listens to my podcast, but I, I read his article. I really enjoyed it, and I put it up. I tweeted it out, uh, but I hadn't made this analogy, but it's perfect, and that is the dollar privilege, right? Because that is a privilege, right? We have this exorbitant privilege, and we are able to issue the reserve currency, and that allows every American, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, doesn't matter. You're an American. You benefit from the dollar privilege, right? You have the privilege of consuming without producing. You can borrow without saving. And everyone has enjoyed that privilege and really has abused that privilege. The entire nation, particularly the U.S. government, has abused this privilege. And this privilege is about to go away. And then everybody is going to see their wealth go up in smoke. You know, we're going to really move uh, far to narrow the wealth gap uh, because white Americans, since they have more wealth, obviously are going to lose a lot more of that wealth when the dollar collapses. So that'll narrow the gap a little bit, although not the way a lot of people want to see it narrowed. Uh, they'd rather see uh, the African-American wealth coming up as opposed to the white wealth coming down. But hey, if you just want equality, I suppose it doesn't matter how we get there if you know having a more equal society is your main goal, not having a more prosperous society, but just having a more equal one. I mean, maybe equally poor is as good a way as any to get there. I mean, maybe it's not as good as everybody being rich, but hey, if equality is your main goal, then I guess you got to take it however you can get it. But when the dollar loses its reserve currency status, and it crashes, it will be replaced, in my opinion, by gold. The world is going to remonetize gold. Uh, it's not going to be the euro. It's not going to be the yen. It's not going to be the Chinese RMB. I mean, we're not going to take the crown off of America and just anoint some other country and give them the same privilege that America abused. Nobody should have that privilege. We need real money anchoring the monetary system. All the world's currencies need to move from fiat to legitimate and they need to be backed by real money, gold, which was the case before the U.S. led the world off the gold standard onto the dollar standard. Well, now the world is going to reject the dollar standard and re-embrace the gold standard. And when gold is remonetized, it's going to be much, much higher in price. And the key is to buy yours now, to get your gold now, to get your gold stocks now. I mean, looking at the charts, right, the way gold closed a month and the quarter I have never seen the gold chart looking this good since early 2009. And that's when the price doubled very quickly, you know, from about 900 to about 18, 1900. And then it peaked. This time, I think the chart looks even better. I think we're going to have an even bigger move. And there is no peak anywhere in sight because we're not going to have the market sell off uh, the way it did in 2011. Because remember, we had a huge run, really uninterrupted bull market from 2000 to 2011, where gold 
went from under 300 to 1900 without a significant correction. I mean, there was a small correction in 2008, but it lasted for a couple months. It wasn't really a big bear market. So we were way overdone after gold had gone up, what, sixfold, whatever that was, from 300 to 1900. And it was at that time that the Federal Reserve was able to convince everybody that their monetary policy worked, that it was a huge success, and now all they had to do is normalize interest rates, shrink their balance sheet, and they would never take out these emergency tools again because they only needed them for the once-in-a-lifetime financial crisis. We would never have anything like that again, and so the Fed would never have to you know, take rates down to 1%. We would never have to do quantitative easing again, and it worked so well, and now we're just going to normalize everything and shrink the balance sheet. And because the world bought into that lie, uh, we finally had a bear market in gold. We finally took some profits. But now we came off of a massive consolidation. Gold consolidated those gains for years and years. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. And so now when we start this run, when we take out 2000 after having gone sideways for a decade, we don't have a decade of huge gains. We had a decade of consolidation that has built a phenomenal base that's going to support a massive new bull market that I think is going to take gold well above 10,000. I mean, I used to be saying that it was going to be gold 5,000. We're going to leave 5,000 in the dust pretty quickly. Uh, I think it's 10,000 or higher. And certainly, if we remonetize gold, there's no way to do it without the price of gold being much higher than 10,000, unless you want to let the price of everything else collapse to bring the relative price of gold up. That ain't going to happen. So the only realistic way of going from a fiat standard to a gold standard is with the price of gold considerably higher than $10,000, and that is exactly where it's going. But, you know, if you need any more proof as to how bad this coming disaster is going to be, all you had to do is listen to today's congressional testimony where you had a joint testimony of both Fed Chairman Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, right? They both testified. And, you know, this is the first hearing I've watched in a while that wasn't on Zoom, right? These guys were actually in Congress. And because they were in Congress, they all were wearing face masks. And, you know, I got to admit, in seeing our elected representatives wearing face masks, finally, I mean, that is the most appropriate attire for these guys, I mean, they now look natural in their element because, you know, government, congressmen have been robbing from the American public for generations. 
So since they're a bunch of robbers, it's about time that they finally put on face masks and now they look the part. They look a lot like robbers with masks on their face uh, than when they didn't have them. So I thought that really framed it well and put everything in perspective that we're all being robbed uh, by these masked men. But the most important part of it is uh, what these guys were saying, what Powell and Mnuchin were supposedly admitting to and confessing. And this is some real scary stuff. But before I actually get into the scariest stuff, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the things that were said during the hearing, because I'm just actually looking at my Twitter feed. I was watching the hearings and I was tweeting about it as I was watching. So I wanted to just make some of the comments based on on these tweets, and then I'm going to get to the worst part of it. Uh, but initially, so when they when they started the, the testimony, um, Mnuchin read off this laundry list of federal programs. I mean, it's amazing how many new programs have been implemented since this crisis began. I mean, because it's what it's only a, you know a few months, right? And he read off this list. I mean, unbelievable all the stuff that the U.S. government has done, right? And he's reading this list. He's basically bragging about it, like, oh, this is all the great stuff that the U.S. government has done uh, since COVID-19, right, since the recession. But in reality, all this stuff is making the situation worse, right? The government programs that Steven Mnuchin is so proud of having been instrumental in enacting, these programs are going to inflict far more economic damage on the United States than the virus, Right. But all of these congressmen, they think it's all great. Right. They are so happy. They are thanking uh, Powell They're you know, for all the work he's done. I mean, they just want more. They're happy that trillions and trillions of dollars have been printed. They just want them to print more. Right. They just want more Americans to be bailed out. They want to make sure that more people have money. You know, Maxine Waters was like, hey, you know, Americans can't pay their rent. They can't pay their utilities. They can't pay their mortgages, so the Fed needs to provide the money, right? You, the, the government needs to print money so that Americans can pay their bills. I mean, Americans need to be able to afford to pay their own bills. The government just can't pay the bills for them. The government doesn't have any money. Yes, it has a printing press, but if it uses it, it destroys the value of the currency. But these guys are clueless. But, you know, the main reason that so many Americans are broke, that they're living paycheck to paycheck and now they can't pay their rent, or their mortgages or their utilities. It's because of government. It's because of people like Maxine Waters. Number one, taxes are too high, right? Obviously, they're not high enough compared to how much government is spending, but government spending is too high. And as a result, we have all these taxes. And so a lot of people who were working and earning money, since the government took so much of their earnings, they weren't able to save. So they didn't have the money saved up to be able to pay their rent and their utilities because they spent all that money in taxes. But another reason that the average American is so broke and has no savings is because both the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Congress discouraged everybody from saving. The Fed kept interest rates at zero. Why is anyone going to save? At the same time, congressional laws and the Fed, by holding interest rates artificially low and all the tax breaks and the stuff that you know Congress passed, Americans were encouraged to take on excess debt, to take on excess credit card debt, to take on excess student loans, to take on excess mortgage debt. The fact that Americans are so highly indebted is a direct function of Fed policy and of congressional legislation. 
That's why. And so Americans are broke because of the government. It's these politicians that are the reason. You have Maxine Waters, who is partially responsible for Americans being broke, talking to the Fed chairman, and the Fed is the other part of the responsibility for Americans being broke, right? You know, they never can look in the mirror to realize that they are responsible for the very problems that they want the Fed to solve. And of course, the Fed can't solve them. The Fed sure did help create them, as did Congress, but they're not going to solve them by printing more money. They're just going to create even worse problems. In fact, they, you know, they thank the Fed chairman uh, for saving us from another financial crisis with all the money they've printed. The Fed didn't save us from anything, right? I mean, they act like, oh, these are the firemen that came to put out the fire. Well, they came to put out the fire that they lit and they came with a bunch of gasoline. That's not going to put it out. That's going to make it come back bigger. Everything that they have done, both the Fed and the Treasury, it not only doesn't prevent another financial crisis, it makes the next financial crisis that was going to happen anyway because of what they've done in the past, it makes it worse. And again, this is not going to be a garden variety financial crisis. This is going to be a sovereign debt and credit currency crisis, which is on a whole new level, right, with far more profound and dire consequences than, than, a, than a financial crisis. You know, there's one of the congressmen, I forget what his name was, but he, he actually had a, an interesting question to make initially. He was worried about farmers and he was worried about food shortages. And he should be because that's what's going to happen. Food is going to be in short supply. It's going to be scarce. It's going to be rationed. I can see all this coming. And this congressman was worried about the farmers and their ability to grow food. And so he was thinking, are we going to have some bailout money for the farmers? Is the, is the Fed bailing them out uh, the way they're bailing out small businesses? Of course, the idea is that somehow the Federal Reserve giving farmers money is going to do something to prevent food shortages. It's not. I mean, what we need is the farmers to make their money by growing food, not by cash and government checks. If we just give the farmers money so that they don't have to farm, how is that going to alleviate the problem of the food shortage? It's actually going to make it worse. If we pay farmers not to farm, then they, they won't. And in fact, if we print all this extra money and just hand it out to farmers who are not farming, not only are we going to have less food, but now we have more money bidding for that food. Right? The farmers are not even growing food. They want to buy food. But who's making it? The Fed doesn't grow any food. It just prints money. right? And that means that food prices go up even more than they would normally because you got the supply that's going to be down. And now the demand based on all the paper money is going higher. But the worst part of it had to do with, uh, I, I forget the name of the African-American congressman who basically forced both Jerome Powell and Stephen Mnuchin to basically bow down and, and worship at the Black Lives Matter altar, right? This congressman basically said, and he wanted a show of hands, and he put these two questions right to Powell and right to uh, Mnuchin. He said, do you believe the reason for the wealth gap in the United States, the reason that African-Americans have less wealth than uh, white Americans, right? Do you, do you believe that the reason for this is because of systemic racism that basically permeates all aspects of the American society, right? Racism is basically the only reason that blacks don't have as much wealth as whites. And these guys said yes. They didn't have the guts to tell this congressman that no, it's not racism that has caused the wealth gap. There are other factors that are causing that gap, but they didn't have the courage to say that. So they went on record as admitting 
that the wealth gap is entirely the fault of racism. And obviously, if that is the case, this congressman is saying the solution is reparations, right? We need to level the playing field by, you know, basically reparations for slavery and all this racism. So this, now these guys are on record as admitting that. And, you know, I thought it's very convenient to that Powell, by admitting that it's racism that, that caused the wealth gap, he not only takes himself off the hook, but Congress off the hook, right? Because racism has very little or nothing to do with that wealth gap. But what has a lot to do with that wealth gap is uh, Congress that have passed a legislation that has created the welfare state, the minimum wage law, uh, anti-discrimination laws, uh, state and local governments with occupational licensing laws, uh, the failed public school system. There are all sorts of things that government has done to uh, create that wealth gap or widen that wealth gap. And of course, Powell himself by printing all this money to inflate asset bubbles, he has uh, undermined real economic growth in favor of these asset bubbles, and that has helped to divide, to drive uh, the wealth gap, uh, not only between black Americans and white Americans, but be between most Americans, the poorer and middle-class Americans, and the richest Americans, right? And there's some black Americans that are included in that group as well. But you have Powell, who is responsible and the Fed for this gap and Congress, who is also responsible. Of course, the individuals themselves bear some of the responsibility. But if we're going to blame third parties, the real third parties were in that room, the Fed and Congress. Yet they're both saying, hey, we got nothing to do with it. It's all because of racism. Right. And once you say it's all because of racism, well, now you don't have to deal with the actual problems or what Congress and the Fed have actually done to create it. And now it's the solution is just reparations, which I've been saying are coming. And fine, it's going to happen, right? The Fed's going to print enough money to pay all these reparations. But you know what? It's not going to matter, right? Because the reparations aren't going to be worth anything. We're going to destroy the value of the dollar. So what good if you get your reparations check and you can't buy anything with it? But not only will the reparations checks be worthless, but somebody, everybody else's money will be worthless. If the che reparation checks don't have any value, then your money doesn't have any value either. Right? If you have cash in the bank, if you have government bonds, if you have muni bonds, the dollar gets wiped out. It takes everything with it. You know, a lot of people have their money in retirement accounts. You know, you're in a 401k, you're in an IRA, and your goal is, you know, I, I don't want to have taxes. Yes, you can defer your income taxes by being in an IRA, but you don't defer the inflation tax. The inflation tax is going to ravage everybody's retirement account. They're going to destroy everybody's retirement account unless you're smart enough to get your money out of dollars now. Get out of U.S. bonds. Get out of U.S. cash and invest internationally. Right? Do exactly what I've been telling people to do, exactly what I've been pounding the table on uh, for a decade now. And yes, I know a lot of people, hey, you've been pounding it too early. Okay, so what? At least I know enough to pound it. And maybe by pounding it early, I was able to save a lot more people. I mean, nobody can pound it directly on time. Uh, but yeah, I was early. You know, I didn't have the benefit of hindsight. You never do. But based on where we are now, I think all the actions that I advise people to take in the past are going to pay off spectacularly in the future. The good news is for those who haven't followed my advice, you still have time to do it. The only question is how much time? It might not be very much. So don't press your luck. But then it wasn't only that uh, Powell and Mnuchin admitted, right, or confessed that it's racism that is the reason that African-Americans don't have more wealth. 
He also admitted that it's the reason that African-Americans are disproportionately denied loans when they apply, right? The same congressman asked for a show of hands and he made sure, you know, Powell raised his hand because initially he raised his hand. He said, no, raise it up higher. He said, do you agree that the reason African-Americans are being denied loans is racism? And Powell agreed. I couldn't believe that. He basically indicted the entire banking system that he's supposedly overseeing by saying it's replete with racists, that you have all these racist loan officers that are denying loans to creditworthy black borrowers simply because they're black. This is all BS. But Powell does not even have the guts to stand up to this congressman and tell him the truth. The reason that black borrowers are denied loans is the same reason that white borrowers are denied loans. Plenty of people are denied loans. It's not just, you know, when someone applies for a loan, they just look at the race. And if the race is black, they go denied. And if it's white, they just approve it. They're looking at the credit score. They're looking at all sorts of things. Banks are in the business of making loans. They want to make loans, right? But they want to get paid back, right? Or at least they should want to get paid back. So they have to make viable loans. They have to make sure that the borrower can repay the loan. And if it doesn't look like they can, they deny the loan. And that's a good thing. You don't want to loan money to people that you know are not going to be able to repay it back. You don't want to bury people in debt that can't afford it. Banks are actually doing borrowers a favor, by not letting them get over leverage, by making sure they can actually afford the commitments that they're taking on. But this congressman got Powell to admit that that's not what they do, that they don't care about making profits, that they're turning down creditworthy black applicants simply because they're racist, which of course is not happening. Now, I don't dispute the fact that probably you have a higher percentage of blacks being denied loans than whites, but it's got nothing to do with their race. It's got everything to do with their financial circumstances and their credit scores and their income and their assets and all that other stuff. Now, if blacks are disproportionately in worse financial shape than whites, that's not the bank's fault. And it's not racist if that's the reality. Now, what you need to do is look at why are African-Americans in uh, these the financial circumstances. Now, again, the congressman would say, oh, it's all because of racism. But again, it has nothing to do with racism. There are other factors that have produced this situation. And those are the same other factors that are producing a situation where blacks are being disproportionately denied loans, right? Not because they're black. But now that you have uh, Powell admitting that that's the case. Well, now Congress has a window to do something about it because you have the chairman of the Federal Reserve has said that blacks are being denied credit because they're racists, right? because the banks are racist. When obviously, even if on the rare circumstance, there was a loan officer that happened to be racist, right? You don't think he's going to approve a loan to a credit worthy black borrower. I mean, they, they probably get bonuses when they have new loans, especially when the loans are good or they pay off. I mean, I've said this before, even if you're a racist, you're also greedy. You want, you want to make money. You want to do well on your job. I mean, if there's a racist loan officer, even if he doesn't care about it, what about his supervisor, his, his superior? I mean, somebody up the chain is not going to allow some racist to deny profit opportunities to the bank. And if some guy is just approving loans to white people, 
even though they're not credit worthy. And now you have a bunch of loans to white people that are going bad. And you have all these loans that are not being made to blacks that are now being made by other banks. Because again, even if one bank is racist, are all the banks racist? Right, because there's more than one bank that a black applicant can go to for a loan. So you got to tell me that every single bank is a bunch of racists, that none of them want to make money loaning to African-Americans because every bank and every banker is racist? No, there's competition. There's no way. This is all impossible. But instead of you know, trying to educate this congressman, he's afraid. He's scared to death of saying that racism isn't a problem. See, racism supposedly is the reason for every problem in the African-American community. And if you don't admit that racism is the problem, well, then you're a racist yourself, right? So Powell had to admit, right, in quotes, that racism is the reason uh, that blacks are not getting loans or getting turned down. Of course, there are plenty of blacks who do get loans, those that are credit worthy, right? But not all of them. Some of them are getting turned down. But now that's all about to change because what I think Congress has done now is open the door for more programs to force banks to make loans to African-American borrowers, even though they believe that the loans will never be repaid, even if they don't have the income or the assets or the credit history to support it. They're going to be required to make these loans anyway. Now, do you think this is going to help the economy? Of course not. It's going to hurt the economy because they're going to divert credit. Loans that should have been made to creditworthy applicants, white and black, are now going to be made to black borrowers who shouldn't be borrowing the money, right? And now, instead of getting repaid, the loans are going to go into default, right? And so now the banks are going to lose money, which we're going to be destroying our capital. And where are they going to get the money? Obviously, the Federal Reserve is going to have to make up all the losses that the banks have uh, because they're making loans that aren't going to be repaid. And in fact, I think if you create a situation where African-American borrowers know that they could just borrow money and the bank can't turn them down uh, because they're black, I mean, they're not even going to care if they can repay the money. They're just going to take out the loans. And this is not because they're black. I mean, anybody would do this. If the government said, hey, if you're white, the bank can't turn you down You have for whatever you want to borrow, then white people would take advantage of it too. I mean, everybody is going to take advantage of a government giveaway, of a government program. It's not a racial issue. People act in their own self-interest. The problem is the government shouldn't create the circumstances that allow this to happen. But this is going to be even worse than the lax lending standards the government crammed down the bank's throat uh, during the housing bubble, right? So this is all happening. The stage has been set. The money printing is going to be off the charts uh, in the Biden administration. And again, you know, if you haven't been looking at the polls, even now more and more people are talking about how it's never been worse for the president. It even seems like Donald Trump himself, you can see some interviews, he's pretty much resigned himself to the fact that he's not going to have a second term. I mean, he likes to try to put a good spin on it, but you can see some of these interviews where he basically acknowledges that, you know, it's not looking good and it's not looking good for the country either especially if you can read the tea leaves, see what these guys are talking about, see what we are setting ourselves up for. Now, I read this article um, about, I forget, in California, they're, they're thinking about passing some law that if you call 911 uh, and your reason for calling is uh, racial, right? If you're calling 911 on somebody and it's just because they were black, right? That's why you called. Um, 
then that's a hate crime and you can do some serious time for making that false 911 call. Now, it already is a crime to make a false 911 call, but now they want to make it an even greater crime if the reason you call 911 is because the person that you called 911 on happened to be black. Now, this thing, if this type of law passes, this is going to uh, backfire. It's going to have an explosion of crime. It's going to have a chilling effect on the willingness of people to call 911. I mean, because what if you see somebody who looks suspicious, right? And you think maybe they're about to break into your neighbor's house. If you happen to notice that they're black, you're not going to call 911. Why? Because what if he's not really uh, going to break into the house? I mean, you're not sure. I mean, maybe you think so. But if the guy is black, you better not call because you risk uh, going to jail yourself. Now, if the guy was white, okay, sure, you could call. Right. If you if he looks suspicious and he's a white guy, OK, you can call 911. You'll be OK. But if the guy happens to be black and you call 911, you could be in a lot of trouble. Now, I know, you know, it's like, well, it, what if it's, you know, it's not because he's black, but you got to prove that now you're probably guilty until you're proven innocent. They're just going to assume, hey, you saw a black guy and that's why you called 911. How are you going to prove that that wasn't part of it? So I think this is going to mean that people are going to be far more reluctant to call 911. And you don't think uh, criminals are going to know that, especially African-American criminals, right? If they know that white people are scared to call 911 if they're doing anything suspicious, well, that, you know, gives them carte blanche to commit more crime. So this is this is where we're headed. I mean, you know, one of the really offensive things that you can do today, a big uh, uh, no-no, is for a white guy uh, to put on black makeup, right, be in blackface, because that harkens back to the days of the minstrel show. So it's a real no-no. But, you know, I think what might happen is if these laws are getting passed where, you know, people are not going to or be reluctant to call 911 uh, if they are suspicious of somebody who's black, you might get a lot of white criminals who just put on black makeup before they commit their crimes, because now they'll, you know, they'll feel that they have a better chance of getting away with their crime, they, you know, because they're not going to get caught. Uh, so, you know, the white guys are going to try to get in on the action, too, because otherwise the black criminals are going to have an advantage over the white criminals because people are less likely to call the cops on them. And so the way you level the playing field is the white guys are going to put on blackface. And it doesn't make me a racist for pointing this fact out, right, because, again, if it was a crime to call 911 for somebody who was white, well, it'd be the same thing. Then the white criminals would be more emboldened, right? It's not about racism. It's about the fact of the matter. Hey, here's a criminal. And are you more likely to commit more crimes if you don't think anyone's going to call the cops if they see you? Yes, of course. And the cops themselves are afraid to arrest you. They're afraid to do anything because, hell, maybe somebody's going to put it on film. I mean, so the whole society is 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 falling apart and it's going to fall apart even faster after this election it's all going to be paid for uh by the printing press you know we're basically repudiating everything american our entire heritage is being sacrificed because people are afraid to stand up and you know look what just happened to stefan molyneux right I mean, I, a lot of people might not be uh, familiar with Stefan. I mean, I've known the guy for more than 10 years. In fact, he used to substitute host my podcast, the Peter Schiff radio show, when I was doing a full-time radio show uh, five, uh, five days a week. Uh, when I was busy, sometimes he would host the show for the entire week. 
He's a really, really good guy. I mean, he was actually on the Joe Rogan podcast before I was. That's what gave me the idea to go on Joe Rogan. You see, he went on Joe Rogan, and then he got so much uh, interest. I mean, his channel, his YouTube channel, had almost uh, a million subscribers. I mean, I'm, what, 340,000 or something like that. So his channel was three times the size of mine. But he was a good guy. But he really took on a lot of these uh, racial subjects uh, and, and went in depth into them, much more so than I have. Uh, I mean, I've kind of scratched the surface on a couple of my podcasts, right? But he's gone deeper. And YouTube just banned him. Just yesterday, they banned him along with David Duke and some other people that they said were white supremacists. And the reason he was being banned was because of his hate speech. He was a white supremacist. I mean, look, the guy's white, uh, but he's certainly not a supremacist. I mean, not even close. I don't think he's racist. Uh, he just says some things that people on the left are infuriated by. And so on the altar of political correctness, uh, again, uh, YouTube, which is owned by Google, is just bowing to the pressure. Now, again, I don't consider this to be government censorship. YouTube, which is owned by Google, this is a private company. I mean, yes, it's publicly traded, but it's not a government entity. It is a company, a for-profit company. And they're allowed to make whatever decisions they want that they think will maximize their profits. And what they're worried about is if they allow a guy like Stefan Molyneux to continue uh, to tell the truth on his podcast, that it's going to anger a uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter people who don't want the truth to get out there. And because Black Lives Matter is now so popular and has so much power that they are going to bring that power to bear and potentially cost YouTube, Google to lose advertising revenue, to have all sorts of problems. So rather than deal with that, they make a decision that their shareholders are best served by just kicking Stefan Molyneux off their platform. I mean, it's a lot easier to do that. Just label him a white supremacist and get rid of him, right? And, and so they have a right to do that. I'm not saying they can't, but it's very unfortunate uh, that this group now has so much power that the American public is so spineless that, that this is what's going on. But even if uh, Stefan Molyneux we're a racist, right? Let's say he was a white supremacist and he was saying some bad stuff on YouTube. I mean, there are plenty of other people out there that say bad stuff on YouTube, right? I mean, you got communists on YouTube advocating communism. I mean, communism has got to be as bad as racism. It's pretty damn bad. I mean, think of the, the, the millions and millions of people that have been killed in the name of communism, right? So people have been killed in the name of racism too, but communism is responsible for a lot of misery and a lot of pain. I mean, how can advocating co a communism not be hate? I mean, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, anyone that is advocating communism, I mean, that should be hate speech too. But, you know, YouTube is fine with that. I mean, you can advocate Karl Marx all you want and you're not going to be kicked off, right? Because that is not what the mob is upset with. They just don't want the mob to shine a light of truth on any of the lies that they're perpetuating in the name of, you know, that this America is this horrible racist country because they're trying to use racism to drive this political uh, movement of socialism. They're trying to get all these new laws enacted, all these bills passed, all based upon the myth of systemic racism. And so they can't have anybody out there trying to show that that myth is not true. I mean, the only guy, I mean, I see on mainstream television is Tucker Carlson. I mean, I've been watching Tucker on Fox News and he is doing a fantastic job of exposing 
this nonsense. He's like one of the only guys out there. I mean, I really like Tucker. I've got a lot more respect for the guy. You know, I really wish he would have aired that interview that I did with him, you know, about the Fed. I mean, we recorded an interview and it just never got aired. Uh, but I'm, I, maybe at some point Tucker will have me on. But I'm glad that Fox News is sticking with Tucker Carlson. And I'm sure there's been a lot of pressure on Fox to fire him. I mean, God knows. I mean, I mean, the stuff that he's saying, I mean, he's got a bigger audience uh, than Stefan. I mean, Stefan is pretty big, but I think Tucker Carlson is now the number one show on Fox, which shows you, right, that a lot of people want to watch this. And it's not all racist. Like, um, Stefan Molyneux had a million followers. You think there's a million people following a racist? You think there's that many racists in America? That this guy really was a white supremacist? That he'd have all these followers? You know, there are people that say, I'm a white supremacist. I mean, I'm Jewish. How could I possibly be a white supremacist? You know, I'm not even sure who the white supremacists hate more. The blacks or the Jews? I mean, I might even be lower on their totem pole of hate than blacks. I mean, if I ever showed up at a white supremacist rally and they knew I was Jewish, they'd kick the shit out of me. <laughs> so, I mean, how could I possibly be a white supremacist yet be a Jew at the same time? But they don't care. They still want to say I'm a white supremacist. You know, I read the Wikipedia page now, which must have been completely changed yesterday as soon as YouTube uh, kicked Stefan off the platform. Read that page. It basically says he's a racist. He's a white supremacist. Uh, he, You know, it just basically uh, 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 parrots all these BS reasons that YouTube uh, came up with for kicking him off the platform. Look, as I said, they have every right to kick him off. Just be honest about it. Don't label the guy a white supremacist. I mean, personally, I would think that um, Stefan Molyneux has a lawsuit, a defamation lawsuit against Google. And I think he should file it because they have a right to deplatform him. But they don't have a reason to lie about why they're doing it in public. They can't say we are deplatforming you because you're a white supremacist racist advocating violence when he's not doing any of that. I think that's slander or libel. I think that's defamation and I think there should be a lawsuit. But you know what I really think should happen? If these uh, social media platforms like, uh, you know, YouTube, uh, if they're really going to editorialize, right, if they're going to look at all the content and decide what's suitable and what's offensive and what's not, and they're going to, uh, you know, cancel people's channels if they don't agree with what they're saying, then I think Congress has to go back and change the uh, exemption from liability that these companies enjoy. Because what happened was the companies came and said, hey, we're, you know, we're a public platform. We're providing a platform so anybody can come up and say whatever they want, and we don't want to restrict it. And so we don't want to be held responsible because if we're going to have an open platform for everybody to speak their mind, right, kind of like a modern version of a, of a town square, only we're going to do it on the Internet. You know, people go to the town square and they can say whatever they want, right? And, you know, there's nobody that gets sued except the individual person. And so companies like uh, Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, they're saying, hey, we're just providing this forum and we want to allow freedom of expression, freedom of speech, but then we don't want to be held legally liable 
if somebody says something that isn't true or somebody is damaged, you know, we don't want to be held liable because if we are held liable, then we're going to have to police everything that people say and we're going to have to start censoring what people say. And so, so we don't have to do that so we can provide this forum for open discussion and free speech. Can you protect us from liability from somebody who might sue us because they can, you know, prove that there were some damages that resulted from an inaccurate uh, a tweet or a Facebook post? And, and Congress obliged. And so they enjoy those protections. So now if some guy posts something about you on Facebook or says something about you on YouTube and it's not true, and as a result, you can prove damages like your business is damaged or something bad happens, you can't go and sue uh, YouTube or, or, or Facebook for the damages because they've been protected. Well, I think they have sacrificed the right to have that privilege. The minute they are now saying that we are going to uh, approve the context, that you can't say whatever you want, that you can only say what we'll allow you to say. We can only, you can only make comments that we agree with or that we deem appropriate. Now they're no longer just providing a public platform. They now become a publisher. They're like publishing a magazine or a newspaper, right? And if a newspaper publishes something about you and it's false, you can sue the newspaper. Well, now I think they got to change these rules. So if uh, somebody publishes something, right, somebody writes something that's false, that's, that's uh, defamation and puts it up on Facebook, you should now be able to sue Facebook or you should be able to sue YouTube. All these companies that are deplatforming people because they are making the editorial decision that they don't like what they have to say, that they think it's false, right, that they think it's offensive. Well, now they're not providing these open forums that they were providing and were the basis for these liability protections. But, you know, of all the efforts to tear down all the statues and to whitewash a history or, you know, basically change history uh, uh, and to conform to uh, this new view of America and its so-called, uh, you know, systemic racism, the one uh, effort that I think I can actually get behind is I read that Princeton University now has decided uh, that Woodrow Wilson is a racist. Now, I don't really know. I mean, they said he had racist ideas or racist policies. I don't know. Maybe he did. I'm not really sure, right? Uh, but he was the 28th president of the United States, and he was significant at Princeton. There was his name on some buildings or departments were named after uh, Woodrow Wilson, uh, 28th president of the United States. But they've decided that they're going to remove his name from the buildings because of his racist views and policies. And you know something? I can really get on board with this. I think that we should get rid of everything that Woodrow Wilson did. I mean, any law that he signed, right, any bill that he signed into law is tainted by his racism. And so we need to repeal the laws that were signed by Woodrow Wilson. The two most important being the federal income tax and the Federal Reserve. Both of those acts were signed into law by the racist Woodrow Wilson. And if Woodrow Wilson was a racist, then those laws, the income tax, is based on racism. It, it owes its existence to a racist. The same thing as the Federal Reserve. It was conceived in racism. It was signed into law by a racist that taints the entire institution. We need to get rid of the Federal Reserve and we need to get rid of the income tax because America is not a racist nation. And we need to purge this nation of anything that is related to racism. 
So if Woodrow Wilson is responsible for the income tax, then anybody who pays the income tax is complicit in his racism. I mean, so I think that people should just say, hey, I'm not going to pay the income tax. I, Woodrow Wilson signed that racist law. I'm not going to pay that tax because paying that tax would basically make me a racist. And we need to get rid of the Federal Reserve. We need honest money. We can't circulate these Federal Reserve notes because these, these Federal Reserve notes only exist because of the racism of Woodrow Wilson. So finally, the Black Lives Matter guys are pushing something that I can actually get behind. I realize that some of the comments that I made on this podcast are not going to sit well with the Black Lives Matter crowd, assuming any of them actually listen to my YouTube channel. Uh, fortunately, probably uh, most of them don't. But to the extent that it gets out there and they put some pressure uh, on YouTube, it's possible that I could be deplatformed too, that I could be kicked off of YouTube uh, just like Stefan Molyneux. Now, I recognize that and I'm, you know, I am going to try to tone down uh, my comments on this topic. I mean, I brought it up today mainly because uh, it was very relevant because of what happened today uh, with Powell and uh, Mnuchin's testimony before Congress. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not going to uh, make it the focal of my uh, of my podcast because I recognize that I'm treading on dangerous ground uh, with YouTube. And again, YouTube it's their prerogative. I mean, they can decide who they want to do business with. And if they don't want to do business with me, uh, then they have a right to stop. Uh, but make sure that, you know, even if I get kicked off, right, you'll still be able to listen to my podcasts on Shift Radio, on shiftradio.com. By the way, we recently redid the entire website. So if you're not listening to the podcast on Shift Radio, go check out uh, my new website. Uh, Paul Maresca, who works with me, did a great job on redesigning it. Uh, so make sure and, and check it out. Uh, but yeah, if I get kicked off of YouTube, then that's where I'm going to be. Now, I mean, I got to figure out a different way if I want to do videos and I'll have to do uh, videos using a different platform other than YouTube. Uh, hopefully that won't happen, uh, but we are going to be backing up our, um, our content just in case to make sure that even if YouTube decides to kill me, that I'll continue to live on. Uh, but this is, you know, it's unfortunate that this is what it's come to, that this is what the world has come to. And it's even possible that I could be kicked off of YouTube for reasons having absolutely nothing to do uh, with race or Black Lives Matter. I mean, who knows? I mean, once they start kicking people off, I mean, who knows? I mean, they can start kicking people off who criticize the Federal Reserve, who criticize Congress, who are telling the truth about the economy. There could be all sorts of reasons that you're going get, to get yourself kicked off. Although I don't know that there's going to be as much of a a political movement uh, that we have right now. So this could be a unique situation where uh, everybody just feels incredible pressure to just surrender to this narrative because nobody wants to be labeled a racist. And so the only way that you can, you know, you can escape that fate is to just basically surrender and just admit to everything that they want you to admit for and to atone for sins that you've never committed. 